Hello and welcome to August podcast. I'm Mark Cosgrove, head of programme at Watershed. I've just emerged from an intensive few weeks of viewing short films for the forthcoming Encounters Film Festival in November this year. We've had something in the region of 2,000 submissions from all countries across the world and we've been working our way through to get together a programme of international and British films for the festival. I'm very happy with the selection of films which range from Kyrgyzstan to America which cover all genres and absolutely some wonderful films. So having watched through hundreds of short films, I've OD'd on the moving image. So I'm about to hop foot to northern Spain for a few weeks rest and recuperation. Two highlights coming up over August. One is we're showing in splendid new digital prints some classics of British cinema, including Laurence Olivier's Henry V, the absolutely wonderful The Wicker Man and Goldfinger, all part of British Summer of Film. There's documentaries on BBC television and there's an opportunity to see the films in all their cinematic glory at Watershed Cinema. The other film that I remember coming up is The Walker, Paul Schrader's new film, which is a delight to see something so brilliantly written, so brilliantly scripted, so brilliantly plotted. It's just fantastic. Now I'll introduce Nee, Watershed's artist-in-residence as part of the Clark's Bursary. Nee is a photographer who came over from Ghana in April to develop new work and explore merging his photography with moving image and filmmaking. The following is an excerpt of Nee discussing his experience of Bristol, the residency and his ideas. To find out more about Nee and to read his online journal, go to dshed.net forward slash Clark Bursary. Hope you enjoy the podcast and you'll hear from a refreshed me again in September. My prior experience with the moving image was really very limited. I've had the experience in Ghana where I um, made a 30-second commercial for a friend and worked with a cameraman and, and an editor. Though I had no experience of editing and no experience of film camera work. I mean, of course, I've played around with a video camera, but not in the way of creating a, a piece of work. So, yeah, working with a moving image was a challenge. In fact, I was worried about this challenge because... I'm the kind of person who, who likes to put himself in a space where I want to interact with what is equal or better than myself. So in being with Watershed, I've always had to watch movies that are fantastic. This is England. Uh, let's look at the Johnny Walker story, Ten Canoes. A wide range of films from documentary to there was the anime, the anime series, you know, so introducing me to completely new concepts of filmmaking and and ideas, um, and all of it really high standard, what I consider to be high standard, because they were interesting, they, they had my attention. I don't think I've watched anything thinking, hmm, that wasn't good enough, or it didn't really excite me. I've got all the tabs, I've kept all the tickets. <laughs> I've kept all my tickets. <laughs> and so that tells me that whatever I'm going to do, that's where I want to be. I want to create a, a space. Whoever engages with this story, it's going to have an impact on them, as it, as it will have had an impact on myself. If you want to be anything, you've got to be surrounded by those who think like and uh, aspire like. So I've pretty much manifested a strong but small group of friends here who are healers within Bristol and outside. 
and who have been people who I can uh, share ideas with and get guidance from. It's been really important because, you know, initially there was a lot of information about Abolition 200, about slavery, and whether I as an artist would work within that frame. I think in my mind I didn't want to be engaged with it, not because I want to negate our history, but because from a healing perspective, I have to create something for the future, something that works now and automatically manifests the future for us. And then the, the, at the same time, I was getting information about the plight of young black men in this country. They don't have anywhere to explore themselves. What's happening is that there's a sort of an, an implosion. There's a, a sort of a suicide going on in that part of the community. Whatever I'm going to create has to be of universal significance. If we're going to tackle the issues of violence and slavery, both are still rampant today. They're not issues of, of only the past. They're very current. What am I going to create that will work towards making sure that these things never happen or they reduce its impact on society? We, we start transforming them into positive uh, future memories. A few years ago, I had that experience of how food changed my life. You know, if you knew me four years ago, you were talking to a very different person, completely different personality. And I've realized that that's because of what I went through with using food to heal myself from illness, which also manifested in, the, in a complete change of behavior. So it made sense to me to say, well, if that's happened to myself, if I've had this personal experience with it, it gives me justification to explore it further and see how viable it would be to um, create a piece of work that would allow us to see how food has affected us, how it affects us, and its relationship to humanity. It wouldn't be enough to just say, let's solve inner-city violence. Inner-city violence is an internal matter, and it's also external. It's not happening because young black men are, are running around crazed. It's because they feel they're being put into a box. If you put rats in a box, what do they do? They kill themselves. When they have no outlet and basically their back's against the wall, we've seen the experiments where they become violent towards each other, and this is what's happening. Those rats were put in there by somebody. <laughs> it's not their natural place. And so I look at these young people, and it's all over the world for young people. I mean, I think in East Europe you have the same phenomenon with young people. Nowhere for them to go. They're put in these boxes. They want to explode. And they explode o over each other and everybody else around them. I think people take food for granted. It's one, a social uh, thing. Two, it's to satisfy hunger. And I'm questioning all of those things. I'm questioning, is the, is the purpose of food a social thing. You know, animals don't gather around food and, and, and talk and laugh and have bottles of wine. <laughs> We're the only creatures that do this, right? So, so it is to find out what's the real purpose. And also because we've walked away from nature. We've tried to create ourselves as better than nature instead of just allowing ourselves to, to be a part of. And in combating nature, in fighting nature, we've become destructive to all. I think that this whole idea, this healing, this healing project is to explore people's minds and find out what's the inspiration behind our existence and how do we return ourselves back to normalcy, back to being natural, uh, creative, magnificent humanity. So I started developing these questions. Um, I knew that the questions in the beginning were, might not relate to the the final outcome of the, of the film, but it, I had to just start going through it as an exercise to start building up one confidence and two, 
to start finding a way, I think by creating the questions and structuring them, it allowed me to reach the point where I would finally understand what it is that I'm looking for. So, you know, the questions were, were really mundane in the beginning. They were just sort of like, you know, tell me your history about food, uh, your, your family history, your personal uh, relationship with it. What do you see in the future? Do you see a relationship between food and conflict? So based on that line. Um, but it still didn't kind of gel with me. It wasn't until I got to a couple of weeks ago at the vegan festival, I was getting really frustrated with myself because I was sort of still, I was still directionless. I had clocked a few interviews, you know, been to London a couple of times, done some in, in Bristol and in Bath, and I still wasn't feeling it. So by the time of the vegan festival, I was like, look, there's a whole bunch of people out here who should be speaking my language, being vegan myself and might understand what it is. But when I got there, I was still having the same dilemma. And then on the second day of the festival, I went back in the late afternoon. I was with my friend, um, John Nakeza, who's a shamanic healer. And um, I was expressing my frustration to him. And he said, you know, why don't you just go out there? I, he was saying what has been repeatedly said to me, which was just start recording, just start collecting the information, and then, and then it will work itself out. You're saying, just go out there, just collect whatever it is, and just let it be inspiring. Just ask people to share you an inspiring story. And I thought, okay, that in itself was a really positive perspective, just to pick up inspiring stories from people. With that, I had the confidence to sort of confront people with what it is that I'm doing and suggest to them that they could be a part of it. And uh, it worked out fine. People did. Everybody has something that they want to share, <laughs> share with the world. And so, and you know, when it comes to food, bang, the whole world wants to speak. Even the person who says, oh, I don't care about it, I'm going to die anyways. They want to be heard about food. They want to speak. I found out that everybody has some truth to offer concerning food. And I left that festival with hope. Now, come the following day, the Monday, I sort of went sliding down the emotional scale again because I was like, damn, okay, so what? I'm now going to get inspirational material from people. There's so many inspiring stories in the world. What's going to be different about this one? And I, and, and I was funny, I was in my bedroom at the house because I was meeting with I, Katerini. I had like half an hour and I had to come with an answer because she was going to ask me what it is that I was doing. And I was like back against the wall. And I remember saying, what am I going to tell this woman? I've got all these inspiring stories. And then that miracle happens. And I heard this voice in my head and it said, the wisdom of food. I remember I threw everything in my hands. I was just like threw up all the stuff in my hands in the air and did this dance. Eureka, I found it. And it made absolute sense at that point. This is what the exploration is all about. And this is how I can interact from a healing perspective by offering the wisdom of food to whoever is interested in, in this world. And it'll allow me, as somebody who's passionate about it, to um, genuinely explore and, and be happy and free with it. I looked at the works of Isaac Julian and um, I've explored the works of Steve McQueen as well. Um, not so much Steve, I haven't seen much of his work, but Isaac Julian, we went online and, and viewed some of his work. And we looked at catalogues from different festivals and exhibitions, all about documentary film. And there's a lot of inspiring work, a lot of information as to the vibrancy uh, of documentary film. That allows you to understand that, you know, one really can be as broad and open with it. There's so many ways of expressing yourself with this culture. The style. Going back to the beginning, when I was asked what I wanted to do with the residency, I said I wanted to work with photography and merge my photography with film. 
automatically as a photographer, I obviously have a way of composing images, of approaching the creation of an, of an image and manifesting it. So I can input that into, into the work. I, initially, I thought I was going to work with actual photographs and build them into the film. A few weeks ago, what I realized was I hadn't been inspired to take photographs. I've really been concentrating on working only with a moving image format. And so I, I was quite happy to allow the cameras to sit at home. Um, I just carried one with me to get the occasional photograph here and there, but they were really not connected with the work. I began to understand how I wanted to structure the film. For instance, the interviews would be built around portraiture, using portraiture and their stories. Not move out of the documentary vision, you know, keep it, try and keep it as mundane, really simple, but beautiful in its structure and allow their vibrations, their voices, to also tell us about who these people are. And that's how I've decided to allow my photography to impact it from sort of a, an abstract point of view, just let it be there. I'm also, I've stayed away from the f photographs because I don't want this work to look like anything else that I've done before. It's got to be completely new. It's a new idea, it's a new space, new experience. Also, with the style, there was a part of me that said, oh, I could have produced a, more dramatic images. Then I thought, like, this morning, I was going through it again. I said, do I need dramatic images? Really, it's not a story about images. It's exploring wisdom. I want to make everything look beautiful. But I can still do that without creating a lot of drama around it. And I think that the drama will take away from what people have to say and, and how I'm going to structure what they're saying. If this work is going to be exhibited here and in Ghana, I need to be really flexible with it. I understand that I can create an installation piece out of it, but at the same time, I'm looking at an audience maybe in Africa. There's a massive video culture in Ghana, in Africa. So I need to be able to keep it in that feature film format, that single viewing system, because that's what's accessible to most people. Very few people in Accra are going to come to a gallery. If I'm going to show it in Kingston, Jamaica, or in, uh, you know, downtown Moscow or somewhere, um, I, I need it to be in a place where people can have access to it. From next week going, I plan to carry out as many interviews as I can with the people that I've uh, met over the last three weeks so that I have material to input. The areas that are missing from the story, those are the scientific voices, the other religious voices, um, spiritual voices, those have to come in. And then a couple of more sort of just Joe and Jane out on the street there who have to have something to say. I think the work has to be humble enough to talk to everybody. If we're looking for wisdom, you have to look everywhere. You can't just assume that it's in one place. So what's going to happen then is also in the next couple of weeks is reviewing the short piece and recreating it, rehashing it so that the format for the longer piece is set and it won't be something that I'm going to be constantly readjusting. I'm going to be happy with what I have and know that the interview style, actually that's the other thing, is to be certain about the interview style so that it's consistent. Is it going to be consistent or is it, am I going to be playing with different ideas with each person, da-da-da-da-da. I kind of like the idea of keeping it as simple as possible.